This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Chelsea 4, Manchester City 4. What a brilliant game in the pouring rain. Cole Palmer nervously hammering an unstoppable penalty to tie things up in injury time. And after getting no credit for winning 4-1 last time out, all the credit in this one. Palmer was brilliant, as was Raheem Sterling. Get them on that plane. Gallagher, Enzo, Caicedo look good. Hard to work out how good City were, but in terms of great adverts, one of the greatest. Lots of other good stuff around in the Premier League. Pablo Sarabia's touch in Wolves' glorious comeback at Molyneux. Palace and Everton giving us a very unexpected five-goal thriller. James Ward-Prowse dropping the ball on his teammates' heads at will as the Hammers just see off Forest. Bournemouth feet injury hit Newcastle. Their last fit player, Kieran Trippier, tries to explain that to the travelling fans. Good wins for Arsenal, Liverpool and Villa. Another point for Sheffield United. We'll try and work out the 20% of refs that Roberto De Zerbi likes. And somehow Manchester United are the form team in the division. Fortunately, after all that, there'll be no time to discuss the Cambridgeshire derby, but there might be time for dogs and Gary Bertles. Plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Week. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi. Hello, Lars Sivertson. Good morning, Max. And hello, Robin Cowan. Good morning, Max. Uh, let's start at Stamford Bridge there. Michael says, has there ever been a purer form of Barclays than that? Paul says, should the Premier League bring in next goal winner rule? And Andy says, standard Chelsea Man City was fun, wasn't it, Barry? Question. And after how much fun games in the pissing rain always are, should the Premier League ensure sprinklers are on throughout the games? I mean... It was absolutely brilliant, that Baz. Yeah, uh, absolutely terrific game. End-to-end, Chelsea appeared, as you said in your intro, to be getting most of the credit, but Manchester City did more than contribute their part as well. Uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable game. Played in, in a, a fine spirit. It wasn't particularly dirty or anything. And it's kind of weird that... Uh, Chelsea's best performances this season have all come against their fellow sides in the traditional big six. Uh, They're unbeaten against Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Man City. They've lost games against West Ham, Forest, Villa and Brentford. Uh, Newcastle away next. You know, we probably have a big seven now, so we'll see how they get on against them. That'll be interesting. Then Brighton and Manchester United. So you reckon this could be a quite critical point in Chelsea's season. Um, but the game itself was was fantastic. Some excellent goals, some brilliant performances. Raheem Sterling in particular was really good. Cole Palmer was good. Reese James was good. A couple of Manchester City players had not great games cut by their own usual high standards. I'd say Ruben Diaz, Rodri wasn't great. Um, but all the talk has been about Sterling and, you know, why isn't he in the England squad? He hasn't been picked for five in a row. I think he was unavailable for the first two of those five. But the the question, as Gareth Southgate has said, is who do you leave out? I suppose the obvious candidate on form at the moment is Marcus Rashford, but it seems unlikely that that will happen. I mean, Jared Bowen was brilliant yesterday. No reason to drop him. Jack Grealish and uh, Phil Foden are pretty much undroppable. Madison is kind of establishing himself now. And um, is Ward Prowse in the England squad? No, no. It, no, but you know he's knocking on the door, obviously. And you presume Cole Palmer and Anthony Gordon are as well. So, yeah, if if you put him in, you have to take someone out, and I don't know who you would take out. Mm. I mean, I, I feel because we have about four international break pods coming up soon. I might save that. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Talk about this football match. I mean, Cole Palmer was so good in this game, Robin. And, you know, he had to wait. It felt like about an hour, you know, just with that rain pouring on his face, waiting to take that penalty. And it was it was so unstoppable, wasn't it? Yeah, and there's a lot of pressure on him, and especially he must have felt it against his, his old club. It's a really interesting one, that, because I, I did not expect him... Because they were saying on, on, on Match of the Day, like, oh, he left City to get more game time. And I wasn't sure that was going to happen at Chelsea, you know, with the amount of players they have and in those positions. But clearly Pochettino really, really likes him. He's been playing a huge part and he's he's been great. You know, I think it possibly could have gone the way of sort of Dominic Solanke, who moved from Chelsea to Liverpool, didn't really play. Yeah, no, he, he looks fantastic. And God, he's, I mean, he's got balls on him. Well, I'll tell you that because that, that is that is proper pressure that proper pressure 
Yeah, it's funny. Some penalties just you, you just think, ah, oh, the goal is tiny and the keeper is massive. But in that one, you're just like, well, it's just there's no way anybody could save that. And actually, it was interesting. Match of the day too, Lars sort of broke it down really well about how Palmer. He's constantly looking to play an incisive pass, right? You know, we talk about those players that try and pass through the lines, those kind of things. And he is he is that. He takes the ball on the half turn. He's got great composure and he is always taking you in that direction. Yeah, so so when that transfer happened, there was some uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, over the fact that we now have a sort of a, a weird football accountancy uh, system that kind of rewards teams for getting rid of their academy products, which is a slightly odd situation. But but I also think when you make that move, there are upsides because I think sometimes when a player comes through the academy, there's always a sense that they're like, oh yeah, it's the nice kid from the academy, very good. And you sort of they get they get minutes here and there, almost as a sort of yeah, we got to have the guy in, but. When Cole Palmer moves to Chelsea for a pretty significant sum of money, the whole dynamic is different. Suddenly he's a guy who they look to and and, and will be expecting things from. I'm not sure what could have happened for him to attain that status at, at City anytime soon. You could look at his performance yesterday and say he should have been playing more for City, but ahead of whom? You know, should he have been playing ahead of Foden or Bernardo Silva or like Grealish or Doku? Like it's a hard team to get in. But at Chelsea, he seems to really have added a spark to that team. And 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 the uh, the, the Bowley splurge, as it should forever be referred to, has has drawn some criticism, and some of it's fair. They've gone very young, very quickly. But the fun thing about signing a lot of these young players is that you don't know what you're going to get from them, and that can be a negative thing, but it can also be a positive. Sometimes some of them give you more than you expect more quickly. And Palmer was so exciting in in, in this game, and and such a you know moving the ball forwards. Now I should think Barry touched on it. I suspect part of the reason Chelsea look happier playing against top sides is that they they're, they they want to press, you know, they want to attack, and they've got a lot of guys who are good at running with the ball and running into space. And and when they're able to do that, they are dangerous. It's more a case of like unlocking the sort of low blocks of the world, the, the bus parkers. They seem less comfortable with. But this was just a tremendous, tremendous amount of fun overall. I, I think maybe Cucurella was unlucky for that penalty. I don't know. There's sort of both, both him and Haaland were, were pulling each other a bit but you know we don't talk about decisions we've decided the Angelo <laughs> thrown on the pod until probably a bit later in this pod Thiago Silva the fourth oldest goal scorer in Premier League history behind who here's a quiz do you know the three anybody Milner is, is it always Milner no it's not Milner no Les <laughs> uh should I, should, I, should I tell you? Yes. Okay. Yes. This is go. not good content, Max. It's a short quiz. It's a short quiz. We do have a lot to get through. You're right. Uh, Sheringham, uh, 40 years, uh, two 39-year-olds, Dean Windass and, and Ryan Giggs. Then what Sterling came back into it, Palmer played that ball through and, and Guardiola messed it up a little bit. And then you had that Haaland goal. I mean, Dave Jones, I thought, on that Sky did it. It was a good line. I don't know if it's his line or someone else had said it, but of all the strikers who doesn't need one to go in off their backside, Erling Haaland... <laughs> Erling Haaland is the one, love. So I thought this was backside as well, but but Erling Haaland uh, kind of disputes this. So he was asked by the Norwegian uh, press by Via Play after the game that he was just said, "You've scored with a new part of your b- body today," and he said, "No, yes, I've I've never scored with my balls before, so that was a milestone <laughs> for me." Right. So, 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 so he's, he's, he's claiming balls for that one, though it, it did look a little bit more like hind quarter, I have to say, but. Uh, yeah. Holland is claiming balls. Had a message from Dave saying it was um, a perineum that he scored with. But, you know, that's not <laughs> yeah. quite as good for, for the ex-pros to say he just needs one to go in off his perineum, doesn't he? Doesn't, doesn't I, 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 I would love good. to hear... <laughs> <laughs> love to help poor Morrison say that every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the end, that you know, you can understand why Ruben Diaz goes to ground, Robin, can't you? Because he thinks Broge is going to shoot. But then, because it's been raining, he he does the sole Campbell. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's going. Uh, Before that, though, can I posit a Troy Townsend-style mad sort of Please, absolutely, yeah. I don't think deflected goals should count. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) No, I I don't disagree with you. I I, I know what you mean. What do you think? What should, what what happens? You just... You just start getting, like, goal kick. Goal kick. Yeah, I don't know. I just well, the don't... corner, surely, if you're going to do anything. <laughs> goal kick? Yeah, I just, with uh, at that point, I thought that was going to be the winner, like a Rodri deflected winner. I just thought, oh, no, that's just, you know, goalkeeper's wrong-footed. I don't like it. So, yeah, you can add that to, you know, it's a shot on target if it hits the bar. <laughs> 
in in your brave new world, Frank Lampard's stats are going to take one hell. Of a <laughs> I think I'm all right with that. I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. No, I know they're deeply unsatisfying. They're sort of deeply like that. Is this has been such a great game, and it shouldn't be decided by that. You know, it's a sort of lazy foot from Thiago Silva. So, do we think that Chelsea are now? You know, in the space of two weeks from I can't remember when they lost to Brentford and we're thinking, you know, this is a hilarious crisis. They'll never be good. And now we're going, hang on. In two years, this is going to be the greatest football team that's ever existed. Like it did seem, Baz, like that Enzo Caicedo Gallagher triumvirate looked really good. I think the only problem they have at the moment is, you know, they've got good players. They've got a good manager. But there's a, you know, there, there are a lot of new players coming together there and they show a little bit of inexperience and in, in game management, which we've mentioned before is a problem for them, you know, conceding first after dominating the early stages, then conceding either side of half time. And then towards the end, you know, they got away with it ultimately, but you'd think with a few more wiser heads, they might've been able to close the game out and, and win it reasonably comfortably. But yeah, that that wisdom will come in time. Mm. And I suppose City dropping points, Lars, is yeah. good good for the Premier League. And I'm sort of still convinced they're just going to run away with it because they win twenty in a row after January. But they aren't running away with it yet. Not not quite. Uh, I, I still I think you're exactly right. I think this is something that happens with City occasionally, especially when there's been changes to the squad. Is that Guardiola? It's almost like he needs a few months to look at it and just have his big Catalan brain ticking along to see like what is the optimal composition of these dudes. Like last season, he had to he had to discover the sort of John Stones hybrid position that really no one had thought of could be a thing, and that that made it all click. And then they were indestructible. I, I do worry that again more changes to the squad. He's taken this first half to sort of look at things and, and then at some point it'll just fall into place and no one will ever stop them ever again. That That is the concern. But of course, for now, for, for fans of excitement, of which we are, you know, for, I hope, uh, it, it is it is good to see that we have a bunch of teams within touching distance of, of City. They haven't been running away yet. So that, that's positive. Long may it continue. It still doesn't feel like a legitimate title race, Robin. I mean, it obviously is currently, but it just doesn't, you just feel they're lulling us. No, yeah, it just kind of never does, really. Even though Liverpool are on their tail, but it's just... Mm. And, and obviously they've done that before, but I guess even Pep Guardiola likes to dangle a little carrot. But then, as you say, it's usually in the new year. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not holding my breath, but, but you never know. Can I, Leslie, before we leave them entirely, skip back to Chelsea? Because we touched on it. It's so fun to laugh at Chelsea, like because of the position they've had in English football for for a while now. Because we got the sort of brash Americans who come in and sort of, oh, why don't we have an all star game and just say a lot of dumb things? And then they sign all these players and it doesn't work. Like it's very funny. It's good content. I, I don't want to be the guy who sort of stops that, but they've actually been quite good for for quite a while. And, and I think it's really mostly finishing. That's the reason they're not higher in the table. Like if you look at the, so I hate to do this again but like if you look at the xg uh their expected goals uh goal difference so far is the fourth best in the league like they're 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 right behind arsenal and liverpool in terms of xg so far and and really if they had any kind of forward who could put the ball in the net with some kind of regularity i think they'd be completely fine and i think they will be fine yeah and Nkunku to come back as well who could be that that player and jackson is scoring goals as well i guess uh moving on jam Jar says can spurs avoid the drop now they only have two players left uh ewan says how comforted are you max by the fact that spurs are spursy again um two defeats in a row brilliant comeback very late from wolves barry molyneux absolutely bouncing and uh richly deserved sadly for me <laughs> Yeah, they were vastly superior for most of the game and I think it would have been a travesty if they hadn't got anything from it. They left it late. Sarabia's equaliser was absolutely fantastic. I think certainly goal of the month contender, if not goal of the season, sprinting onto that lofted pass from, from Kuna, taking it down with his right and spanking home a volley with his left all in one movement. It was brilliant. And then... They had their wits about them for the winner and, and Spurs didn't. They took a f- quick free kick. Tommy Doyle took a quick free kick on the halfway line after Matt Doherty had fouled someone or other and uh, plays it wide. Sarabia again with a beautiful touch into the path of Mario Lamina and, and 
doesn't have a roof, but if it had, the roof would have come off Molyneux. And, uh, yeah, they deserve the win. Ange was very morose after the game, but I don't think he can have any complaints. Now, you know, they have injury issues and, and he had to replace three of his back four, but they just weren't on it at all, really, at, at Molyneux. And were quite, they, they've changed their approach as well. They scored early and then just tried to protect that lead. That's not really like them under Ange and mm. they they were punished. I wonder if they, they tried to do it. Were they trying to play Lars, but they just, you know, if you don't have Madison and you don't have that very quick centre-back, it's just different. Or did they suddenly go, hang on, Hoiberg and Dyer are here. Let's go Conte style. Let's do, let's go back. I, I don't think they were trying to, to not play. I think they were just not able to. And I think there's a, missing the speed of Van der Veen is obviously bad in the descent, defensive sense. But I think, taking Ujogi, Romero, and Van de Veen out of that back four, and suddenly you have a big problem getting your passing game going. Like, passing out from the back is, you know, Eric Dyer and Ben Davis and Royale out of position are not quite as good as that, as the the first three I mentioned. And the roles were quite physical. I thought the Spurs didn't seem to, to enjoy that very much. And be, because you couldn't really play out from the back with the kind of quality we've been used to seeing, it's like their whole sort of passing game didn't really get going. And uh, Madison being absent obviously hurts in that regard as well. And it was just a thoroughly undercooked performance in, in every way. And I think if, if Ange was morose, I do wonder if he made, you know, he has his ideology that we like and I'm a big fan of, but it's very, you need mobility on the field to play like that. You need guys who can run and you've lost too many of the guys who can run at the same time right now. Yeah. And I mean, and I also like that, but in that 90th minute, and you've got a goal kick. Can't you just say, lads, up you go. I'm going to take 10 minutes just kicking the posts, pretending to, to lots of you know mud off the bottom of my boots and just hire up the field. Look, Gary O'Neill, I wonder, Robin, is he underrated? I sort of feel like there's just something about Gary O'Neill that he'll never really be rated. And, and that is a total travesty because he's, you know, he's beaten City and Spurs at Molyneux already this season. And he's been very unlucky in the last few weeks. They deserved some luck, didn't they? He's clearly a very good coach. It's just... He's not that glamorous, is he? You know, with the greatest of respect. So, yes, and I think we, as four very glamorous people, we can we can say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> sitting here in my sweats. <laughs> he's a, but you know what? When when I, I've interviewed him before, he, he's very intelligent, astute, and I think you know he displayed that on Monday Night Football, didn't he? I think he he kind of impressed everyone, and the players like him. Uh, they've got real clarity in what they do. As you say, they've been on the end of some shocking decisions this season. And he also did, he did really well with Bournemouth last season. Fair play, they wanted to change in direction. He's probably got better players now with Wolves. I mean, they nearly didn't win this because they were so bad in front of goal. Like, they really, they really should have been further ahead. Um, they missed so many chances. And that, I mean, that's kind of been Wolves pre Gary O'Neill. But no, I think he, he's an excellent coach. And yeah, maybe maybe it's just having a name like Gary is just it kind of marks you down a bit, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I think he needs someone to come in and teach his players how to take corners. They, they were conspicuously dreadful at <laughs> trying to clear the first man. I think one thing I enjoyed about this game, actually, it was live on TNT Sports and they came up with this very exciting wheeze to put body cams on Max Kilman and Brennan Johnson for the warm-ups, the pre-match warm-ups. I imagine it is a, a project that will be binned very quickly because all it seemed to do was conclusively prove that pre-match warm-ups are quite dull. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? I, I, it reminded me of Eye of the Beholder on the Amiga or maybe Goldeneye if you were a console person. You know, And it was so jerky and it was like, that, like I'm not an expert in the art of television. But one key is it's got to be nice to look at. What you're looking at has to be sort of pleasant. And it was really unpleasant. But in terms of whether, it depends on whose idea it was. Because it could be someone really high up the chain going, and they're like, oh, Darren's had an idea. And you're like, oh, we never want him to come into the office. Don't have an idea. Because you have to go with it because he's like a senior <laughs> boss. I don't know, Lars. 
But it makes me think of because it's football and we're all obsessed with it and there are certain things that we don't get to see. We tend to assume those things will be really interesting. And I think that's a fallacy we've learned from all these behind the scenes documentaries. It's like, yeah, it'll be great seeing what actually goes on in the training ground. Like what actually goes on in the training ground is like a lot of wealthy young men arriving in flashy cars going, all right, and like high fiving. And like then they change. Some of them have a massage and then they run about a bit. And it turns out like a 12 hour documentary series on this is actually really fucking boring and I, I think i think this is the same thing we get now with the body cams it's like no they're just very athletic young men jogging about a bit to get their pulse going before the game we don't need to see this it's not good content you make a really good point there's there's a sort of social media trend of the poor social media person at each club having to stand <laughs> like by like the gym door or the changing room door or training and fist pump every player as they walk in and nobody wants like yeah. clearly presumably before they got to this door there's someone else say oh by the way someone's filming beyond this door so just no. walk in and you know i don't know somebody wandering in in sort of giant track in a giant dior tracksuit worth a million pounds and they just go all right all right dave and he goes all right and then someone else walks in and you're like what why am i watching this this is Total madness. Lars, can I just argue about, uh, ask you about Pablo Sarabia, right? He only came on for three mm. minutes, totally changed his game because his goal, as Barry said, was beautiful and his pass to uh, Lamina was beautiful as well. Like, how has he ended up being a, a sort of a late substitute for Wolves? It's deeply odd. And Wolves have a couple of guys like this who sort of have been at bigger clubs and you wonder why exactly are you at Wolves? And if you're at Wolves, why are you not better? I guess Cunha is in the same bracket. Someone just, they've spent a lot of money on coming in from Atletico Madrid. No, he's, he's, he's got, he's got something like 26 caps for Spain. He's, he's played for, for, uh, for Paris Saint Germain. Like, he's like, why are you at Wolves? What, 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 what happened to you, friend? And uh, you wonder if that's sort of the, 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 the George Mendes influence, one imagines, that he will occasionally stare these sort of players in that direction. They are a deeply strange team, Wolves, because they're, with apologies to Gary O'Neill and, and all Wolves fans listening, I find them deeply underwhelming. Like, when I watch them, I'm very rarely excited. But they also, when you go through the squads, there are a handful of players that's like, hang on, you, you, why are you, what? So, yeah, a very strange team. Maybe another one who just needs someone to finish more chances and then they could rise up the table, who knows. As someone who has in the past uh, encouraged the wrath of Wolves fans on this podcast, I'd just like to wish you all the best for the next couple of days, Lars. Well, I'm just thinking I didn't say exactly what you did now, did I, Barry? <laughs> yeah. that, yes, that were my thoughts. Don't know. That seems mild. Anyway, I don't think we need to go back to that. Uh, it is, uh, that'll do for part one. Um, we'll do the, uh, the big three twos in just a second. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Paisiano says, Will Ellis James and Barry Glendening come for a swift pint at the Troxy pre-show? I can treat one of them to a drink, but not both. Um, yes, for the very few of you that listen to this before the show begins at the Troxy and have have nothing to do tonight and we're thinking about coming, you can get tickets on the door. There's still a few left. You can also go get tickets for the live stream, uh, theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Gaz says, hi, Max. It's Gaz, the Wolves fan from Telford, um, who I presume is very upset with Lars currently. I'm Already? coming to the <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the live show in Manchester. I wondered, is there a dress code? Can you let me know? Should I arrive in football shirt or smart casual? Oh, it's suits and ties all around, isn't it? <laughs> Top hats only. It's like Ascot. It's like Royal Ascot. Um, wear whatever you like. Can, can, we, um, no, can we not say on this pod that it's fancy dress and see how many oh, turn up no, in fancy dress? It's a, bit, it's a bit football banter. It's a bit football tour banter, that, isn't it? It's like bring your golf clubs and then there's no there's no round of golf. I'm, I'm just trying to get into this, the mood of this venture. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, Selhurst Park. Dee Withers says, is it too early to put a pony on Everton to win the Everton Cup this year? Premier League is beginning to look reassuringly familiar. Just waiting for Villa to fall away. Not sure that'll happen. Man United to put an, a nano run together. Chelsea spend a bit in January. Then Everton pile through to seventh. Yeah, they won 3-2 at Selhurst Park. Massive win this, Robin. In what was an entertaining game that I had, I thought I had nil-nil written all over it. Well, yeah, the stats were there. I think it's the fewest goals scored at Selhurst Park this season. I don't think that's the first season that's happened either. But, I mean, fair play to Everton. Um, one defeat in six. I think we can conclusively say that Sean Dyche is an, an excellent 
football manager because that is a proper basket case club. They still might get a massive points deduction, we're not sure, but he can clearly unify a squad, um, get them playing with real clarity. And I was just thinking, I really like their midfield. It's good, mm. isn't it? It's Anana, Decore, who pops up with crucial goals um, quite a lot of the time. Ghana, um, you know, it's it's really good, actually. And um, yeah, no, it's just fair play to them. And yeah, very un-Palace-like, un-Roy-like defending in, in some of these mm. goals. Although the third one I thought was very good from Everton, actually, very slick. It was a slick move, wasn't it? Had it been Man City, we'd be talking about it for ages. But as Everton, we must gloss over it immediately. Like, you know, that, that's my that, that's that's my least favourite saying of all the football cliches because the exact opposite is true. Like with the, <laughs> yeah. the 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 big the good teams score goals like that all the time. We don't talk about it at all because it's so common. <laughs> um, look, we talked a lot about. Well, we haven't talked much about injuries because it's not interesting to talk about. But you have mentioned, Baz, the fact that Everton haven't had Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And it makes such a difference, especially under Dice. They've got someone they can hoy it to. Yeah. Um, they've, you know, he's he's played quite a few games in quick succession now. He's managing to stay fit. And it makes a massive difference to Everton, even if he doesn't score. But there's always the worry that it's only a matter of time before he pulls a hammy or you know, jars his knee or picks up a calf strain, whatever. But as long as he's fit and firing, I mean, one suspects at the moment, even without him, they would probably be okay. But because Dyche does finally seem to have t- turned things around there. Hmm. Is it is it far enough, sort of long enough ago? I think it was mentioned on this pod when he got that awful knock to the face, but it looked so bad and he was out again. I felt sorry for him that I didn't really go to town on how much he looked like a hamster after it had happened. But it's absolutely extraordinary when you see a picture of him after that, when he got that knock. But anyway, he's fit and he's good and he's playing well. That yellow card, Robin, for Eze, for the dive, seemed very harsh. Yeah, I I think it was. And he was asked afterwards whether that sort of stopped him going full flow and he said no to be fair to him but yeah I mean Palace if you, I think you said this on the radio yesterday they've always had this with Wilfred Zaha who got a reputation as well but they've got the you know they've got Eze they've got Elise these quick wingers I mean it probably maybe it wasn't enough for a penalty maybe it wasn't but to yellow card him yeah what yeah. was harsh so it felt more of a penalty than the first one to me Lars I don't know mm-hmm. what you think no I, I, it seemed very very harsh uh, indeed uh, but, but it's good to see him back. And I, I love the fact that he signed a new contract uh, because we do tend to do this, and I'm as guilty as anyone, when a player looks that exciting and is playing for one of the teams down the lower half of the table, you tend to immediately go, ooh, he should go somewhere bigger. He should go to here. He should go to be exciting to see. But it's also very, very good to have a player who just sees, well, you know, I'm, I'm the men man here now. I'm, I'm starting every week. I'm the focal point of the team. I, this is good for my career to stay here for a bit longer. So, uh, so good to see that. I'm just enjoying the... I don't want to leave. I don't want to move on quite yet from the Sean Dyche Everton revolution. I think it's so much fun, uh, and it's like if football and tactics is like food, right? You would have Pep Guardiola being the sort of Michelin star, sort of innovative thing, the sort of always sort of deconstructing stuff and turning everything into emulsion, and it's all very fancy and all very good, and similar stuff about Deserbi and all his sort of standing on the ball and all this stuff. But but sometimes you, you sometimes you just want to see Sean Dyche turn Abdullah Ducore into like the Mali and Ashley Barnes. Like that, that is the football equivalent of, of like a greasy burger or something. You just want to keep it simple. You'd like a greasy Sean Dyche and, and no, nothing more complicated than that for your weekend. And I, I think it's great to see. I'm a huge fan of it. I enjoyed that analogy, Lars. Uh, my favorite bit of this game was, I mentioned this to you yesterday on the radio, but it was Jonathan Pierce uh, on Match of the Day. Finding, and I, he definitely finds VAR more troublesome than most of us, and we're all finding it quite troublesome. But there was quite a long delay. I think it was for Odson Edwards' goal, where the ball sort of, where James Tarkovsky just decided to stop playing. And it was taking so long that Jonathan Pierce, he said, You're sending spaceships to the outer colonies of the universe if such things exist. And yet, how long does it take to get two lines drawn on a football pitch? I've got a magic marker here, and I've just done it. I love the idea that he, we're sending spaceships to the outer colonies of the universe that we don't know exist. I mean, we 
Do we know that the outer colonies exist? I, where are we at with this? Well, if they, if, if they do, I think we should send him there. That's for sure. That's how I felt <laughs> after that bit of commentary. Like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. No, he should, he's here to stay, if you ask oh, me. He is doing this on purpose, definitely. <laughs> he is like every week. I mean, this is on football cliche. It's like he's doing it to be picked up on football cliches every week, this oh, guy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I really like uh, but, but it is, of course, very deeply ironic that someone who, who you know, had such a good time commentating robot wars <laughs> yeah. that he can't get his he- can't really get his head around VAR. I mean, that's one of life's great ironies. <laughs> good oh, point. Wow. I, I'd like that. Well, I would definitely if Jonathan Pierce was sent to the space station, but it's not the Sp- international space station. That's the point. It's the outer colonies of the universe. <laughs> no one is sending spaceships to the out. Are they? Maybe they are. But, but presumably, I mean, you- if if they are colonies, someone must have sent spaceships there <laughs> by by default. Like you, you can't have a colony if no one sent a ship there. It's a good. You know, it's a good, Pierce good might know point. something we don't. That's <laughs> true. It'll be the next Fox Molder. Anyway, uh, to the London Stadium. I would not um, watch that. Yeah, I would 100% watch it. Yeah. Jonathan Pierce and Gillian Anderson uncovering <laughs> the, the, the unexplained mysteries. Um, uh, let's go to the London Stadium. Robin, you were there. West Ham 3, Forest 2. That was, must have been a fun one for you. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be quite this fun. But yes, the story in the end was James Ward Prowse and his pinpoint free kicks. Yeah, I mean, West Ham deserved to win it. It looked like they weren't going to. Forrest did well to respond. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. And uh, I found it interesting after Steve Cooper said the defending for the corners wasn't down to strategy. It was a lack of desire, which basically means I told these pricks where to stand <laughs> and they didn't do it. <laughs> I, I think that's what he meant, basically. Yeah. I mean, at what point is Gareth Southgate going to realise that he needs Raheem Sterling to get fouled so James Ward-Prowse can put a free kick in for Cole Palmer to score a winning header in the final of the Euros? Otherwise, we've got we've got no chance. But I suppose from Ward-Prowse, we all know Ward-Prowse's brilliant free kicks, Robin. But watching him play in midfield, how good is he as a midfielder? Because I just find myself just sort of not really noticing him. Doesn't mean he's not good. That's my own failing. He's perfectly sort of serviceable in midfield. I don't need another person to tell me how good he is at free kicks. I know how good is he is at midfield. Yeah, no, he's really good. I think that that's a really important point you raised, that he's not just that. That he's extremely important to have that in your locker. And that's what, that's what won West Ham the game. And that could win international games as well. But he's also actually quite good in midfield, um, especially in this West Ham midfield. I mentioned um, Everton's one. So they've got um, Edson Alvarez, who's been excellent since coming in, basically doing that sort of Declan Rice role. Ward Prowse, Thomas Socek, and they've also got Paqueta, who's kind of got that little bit of stardust. And I think with Ward Prowse, um, with those sort of players around him, no, he was excellent. Didn't re- didn't can't remember him losing the ball. You know, keeping possession well. Personally, I'd have him over Jordan Henderson um, for many reasons. Hmm. Uh, Anthony Langer took his shirt off at Barry in this game, and just on the Ellis James scale of uh, ripped torsos, where is? Anthony Alanga. I mean, clearly not at the James level. Not not as buff as James. I noticed Robin also mentioned that he'd taken off his sports bra, which <laughs> suggests he's nowhere near as buff as Ellis if he needs to wear a bra. He struggled a little bit, didn't he? Like, like the shirt came off very easily and the sports bra is sort of, cause it's quite tight, isn't it? It's actually harder to... Do they wear those because you can attach little things to work out how many miles you've I think run? it's the GPS, isn't it? But yeah, right. so usually, usually they don't bother with that, but I was impressed that he wanted to take that off as well. Um, yeah. Obviously in vain in the end because, um, yeah, there wasn't a winning goal. No, that is true. Uh, anyway, uh, um, James Ward-Prowse, Jared Byrne said, the best around, possibly the best there ever will be at free kicks, um, has 17 assists from dead balls since 2021. Seven ahead of second place Aaron Cresswell. So... You know, West Ham is where you need to be if you're a big, a big lump of a centre forward. Yeah, we'll say this: he was doing that. You know, at the end of the game, I know this might be this might sound a bit silly, but how many times have you seen, you know, a team chasing a game and they get a corner and everyone's really excited and they don't beat the first man because maybe they're a bit tired. You know, they've been doing that over and over again. But he put in so many and he was still on the money. You know, very much as as Barry said, not Wolves. Um, 
can look on in envy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's go to the vitality. Bournemouth 2, Newcastle 0. Anthony says, co-commentator from 5 Live yesterday, referred to Bournemouth pulling clear of the chasing pack. Can the pod think of a more leisurely chasing pack in the history of sport? <laughs> I know they could have won by more here last, couldn't they? I mean, Nick Pope made some a lot of saves, most of them regulation. The one in injury time was amazing. But... I don't know if the story is this Bournemouth are coming together slowly or Newcastle are just completely knackered and there's only two of them left that can stand up. I would quite like it to be Bournemouth coming together slowly because of the professional pride of Sid Lowe, of course, uh, having uh, shouted Iraola as the man to watch. Uh, but but also just because what Iraola wants them to be would be a fun thing to have in the Premier League. Like I, I, I kind of want that to succeed. And I guess if we're trying to like find really reaching here because it's been like 12 games but they have had a pretty tricky fixture list already Bournemouth maybe like he's he's just come in he's trying to change everything at the same time and they've had a difficult fixture list so maybe that's part of why they've lost quite so many games maybe it's possible for them to turn it around maybe this is the start of something certainly has bought him a bit of time between this and the Burnley uh, result you'd expect but I and 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 of course now they've got uh, Sheffield United in the next one they should be capable of doing something against them I do tend to think that it was mostly about just one game too far for a depleted Newcastle squad who were just so far off their usual levels here. And then and, and, uh, Eddie Howe was pretty clear about it after the game. I thought it was fair. Like they weren't, they weren't as energetic and sharp off the ball as we're used to seeing them. They weren't as crisp on the ball as we're used to seeing them. They weren't very good at anything in this game. And uh, I, I suspect that as, as Kieran Trippier uh, very eloquently put it, have you seen how many injuries we have? Which it seems to be the thing. It's hard to feel sorry for arguably the richest club in the world, if not the richest, for not having enough strength and depth. But their list of injuries is, you know, they have been absolutely decimated. And the lack of match fitness of quite a few of the players who haven't featured much for them this season was quite obvious in the final half hour of the game where that's when Bournemouth scored their goals and then it just turned into shooting practice for Bournemouth. So it's a great result for Bournemouth. I kind of expected them to win because Newcastle had so many you know, key players out for one reason or another. They should have won more emphatically and would have if it wasn't for Nick Pope. And I know you can only beat what's in front of you, but I wouldn't read too much into this result. Mm. I mean, look, Tenali's out, obviously, for a long time. Jacob Murphy, Dan Byrne, Harvey Barnes, Elliot Anderson, Sven Botman, Gimaresh was suspended. Callum Wilson, Alexander Isak, Amaron got injured during this game. I think they'd need Mankio, Matt Target. I mean, it's, it's like a whole, it's your whole squad. What did you make, Robin, of Kieran Trippier uh, discussing it with the lads? I quite liked it. I liked it. Do we think the the sort of inferring that, uh, you know, that you're a bit entitled, you guys, you know, got Champions League this season, guys, you know, and... Yes, it's, it's not been great today. And yes, it is a very, very long way. But just, yeah, calm yourselves. Yeah. I, I, I quite liked it. He seemed like it wasn't a kind of aggressive. I mean, it was, it was wholehearted, but I, I liked his vibe, Kieran yeah. Trippier. No, I totally agree. And, and expectations change if you're a football fan, don't they? You know, very quickly. I, I didn't think that I would be expecting Tottenham to win the league two weeks ago. But, you know, I did and now I don't. Um, but uh, I... Um, I, I that that can happen and I agree with you he was pretty measured and fans dish it out all the time and it's good sometimes when they have to take it um let's go to Anfield Liverpool three Brentford nil could have been so different Barry Ethan Pinnock missed an early chance yeah Ethan showed uh, some rare signs of fallibility in in attack and defense and maybe that was the difference I think the scoreline doesn't reflect Brentford's performance. You, if you hadn't seen the game, you'd just presume Liverpool had swatted them aside. That's that isn't the case, but um, they were just too good for them in the end. But yeah, Brian Mwemo missed a, a glorious chance when he was put through in a one-on-one with Allison. If he'd scored that, Brentford would have gone ahead, and who knows? And if Ethan had scored, could have been a whole different ball game. But um, I, I don't think Brentford played particularly badly, but they, Liverpool were, were better than them, took their chances. You're on first-name terms now with uh, Ethan Pinnock. Well, he wished me a happy birthday, didn't he? Well, that is thanks true. To, thanks to yeah. Robin. So. Um, uh, Darwin Nunes had two goals ruled out for offside at nil-nil, Lars. I mean, he needs a Why Always Me t-shirt. It's sort of getting to that <laughs> stage, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he's he's impressively chaotic. I, 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 listen, I'm a Darwin believer. I'm, uh, I, I believe that Darwin will 
will come good whether he'll be like one of the absolute elite strikers in the universe not not sure but maybe in the outer colonies i mean that's yeah, this is the, the, out there doing robot wars with jonathan <laughs> pierce but uh, you know i i think he's a very fun player he i mean may, I, I wonder how i'd feel about him if i was a liverpool fan because of course the mischances are frustrating but I'm not a Liverpool fan. I am a person who occasionally watches Liverpool, quite often watches Liverpool. And so for me, having the added chaos of Darwin is, is an entirely positive experience. JP and Gillian Anderson discovering him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, does have a, he has a real understanding with Mo Salah as well, isn't he? And that, like, that, that is a good thing. It's a good person to have a good understanding with, especially if you're a Liverpool centre forward and you know, Jota makes a difference as well. At 1-0, Robin, should Endo have been sent off? It was a bit like Curtis Jones, a bit like Christian Romero. I wonder if they're both lying on the floor. It just doesn't look as bad. Yeah, it just didn't. I didn't quite get the kind of, you know, that that you, know, you make that noise. Um, but we definitely did have that. Uh, we'll get onto that later in the Arsenal game. You know, you kind of wince. I didn't really get that on this one. I did enjoy Klopp. Did went full Guardiola after this game and went, oh, Brentford are brilliant, aren't they? Absolutely brilliant <laughs> <laughs> after a three 0 win. Absolutely classic. <laughs> Thomas Frank sort of said, I don't think it's a red card, but there are lots of other red cards, which I also don't think are red cards, so I do think it's a red card, <laughs> which I, I enjoyed. <laughs> I want a, a word on Simicast, I think, because when Robinson's out, Robertson was out for, you know, was out for a couple of months, it, it, that is a key part of this now, when you're squatting. If you've got someone to come in who we perhaps don't know how good they are or whatever, and he, he looked really good in this game, I thought, and made, made a big difference. And so all squads need that to happen. Jurgen Klopp, has criticised the decision to switch Liverpool's visit to Man City to a 12.30 kickoff. Good. More early kickoffs for, for Liverpool. <laughs> you don't like them, do you, Jürgen? Here you go. <laughs> Eventually, they'll just have all of them. They'll start moving them earlier and earlier, won't they? What have we got on 8, we got on 8 a.m. on the 4G? What have we done? That's the only time we could get a pitch, I'm afraid, Jürgen. That's just that's the only time we could do it. Um, it was originally, even worse, it had been planned for 5.30 and then a late kickoff was rejected by a safety advisory group following several incidents between the supporters of the two clubs, which is true. They, they have happened and the coaches have had stuff thrown at them and stuff. So, you know, less time for people to get shit faced. No one's ready for a 12.30. Not even hooligans are ready for a 12.30 kickoff, are they? Uh, but well done, Liverpool. Uh, well done, Arsenal as well. Uh, they beat Burnley 3-1. I'd argue the lads at the Cenotaph, they were there quite early, weren't they? <laughs> they, were ready. Well, they were ready, yes. Well, we need a voice note from you about Suella Braverman. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Oh, is she gone? Is she gone? I'm assuming she might be, maybe. Uh, who knows? Well, oh, I'll really? do a voice note. Um, uh, yeah. Surprised to see my dad there, but, you know, he had a nice day, <laughs> he had a nice day out with the lads. Um, uh, Arsenal 3, Burnley 1. Um, unlike Barry... The result looking more straightforward for Liverpool than it was. This actually was quite straightforward, even though Burnley equalised at one point in the game. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it could have been more straightforward for Arsenal, really. Burnley continued to struggle, continued to make mistakes, continued to, to defend badly. And they scored, but otherwise barely laid a glove on, on Arsenal in this game. I think... Um, it's hard to see where they're going to get a win now. You know, Luton have got a couple of wins. Um, Sheffield United are, are on a two-match unbeaten run. You know, they could get marooned at the bottom. Yeah. Um, the uh, the highlight was probably Zinchenko's karate kick, Daniel's mm. son finish, which I really enjoyed, uh, which you were telling me yesterday is an illegal move in karate, Barry. I was surprised to hear, you know. Yeah, Danny Caruso should have... Um, should have been disqualified from that competition in the original Karate Kid. Wow. Changed his history. Changed, changed yeah. the path of both his and his opponent's history. Mm. And, you know, Mr. Miyagi is... You see, there are biased referees everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the... Where, was he from Greater Manchester? <laughs> so I see Mr. Miyagi getting really pissed off with the VAR going... I just want the referees here to make, you know, to make a decision. I'm not yeah, miles yeah. away. Um, no. I don't know what a foul is these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, William Saliba's header, Lars, you know, sometimes you sort of see corners and you think, okay, well, sometimes the cross just goes to the man, right? But he didn't, he did a sort of beanpole jump, you know, arms by his side, standing <laughs> jump. That surely can't be how you score a goal. Like, this seems so easy. Evidently was. But again, it's with, with Burnley, like... <laughs> So many goals they've conceded this season. But I do want to sit down and just go through every goal Burnley's conceded this season and just make a little check mark for just how many of them should have 
I mean, it should have been a way of avoiding that because I feel like that is a high number. I feel like I've watched a lot of Burnley highlights this season where they've conceded goals, and you go, "Hang on, that should have been a way to you should do better than that." And I, I, I do. I think they're the they are a, a classic textbook case of the Norwich problem, as far as I see. They 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 were quite expansive and open and let's play nice football and stuff in the championship and then just doing the same thing in the Premier League is really difficult and they're not able to do it so far. Well, all, all three of Arsenal's goals came from crosses, two corners and a cross. And at the corners, Arsenal's players were just bullying Burnley and bullying James Trafford, and they should you know that shouldn't be happening really. Mm. It was uh, Trossard was the thousandth goal at the Emirates in all competitions for Arsenal. They did tweet 1,000 goals with a picture of Trossard. I think Tim Stillman went, it's not bad, he's only been here since January. <laughs> we should really be talking about Leandro Trossard a bit more, shouldn't we? What's the best one? Is it, is it the Jack Wilshire goal? The first one that springs to mind is that Jack Wilshire goal. I think it was against Norwich, wasn't it? Speaking of the Norwich problem, that lovely passing move. But, you know, I don't know if you recall any others of the nine. Are we going to count down all a thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Bruno Brooks in. I thought um, the 439th one was the yeah, best. Yeah, no, that really was excellent. <laughs> it was. Um, and Fabio Vieira, that was a red card that you know made us all go, Oof. Um, and uh, did you like Arteta afterwards, Robin? Saying, you know, no. being funny about VAR <laughs> and saying, let's have some humour. Let's all be funny for a bit, everyone. I think we all must have chewed our own fist off in sheer embarrassment. <laughs> it was so cringe. It was like... <laughs> Oh, come on, Mikel. I mean, yeah, oh, I know. Guy. Yeah, this guy just, you know, I, I, I like him. But yeah, no, that was cringe. <laughs> All right, uh, that'll do. I don't disagree. Uh, um, <laughs> that'll do for part two. Part three, we're going to Old Trafford. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Man United won Luton nil. Joachim says, what does it say about a half of football when the big highlight is Big Sam yawning in the stands? Uh, <laughs> so I'm, what do we think about Big Sam being lined up by Fergie to lead Man United to glory? Man United are the form team in the Premier League. They picked up more points over the last five games than any other team, winning four out of five. Josh, United are six points off Arsenal. Simple question, how? They're seven points off the top of the league. Lars? I mean, they've beaten... Brentford, Wolves, Forest, Luton, Fulham, Sheffield United and Burnley is how. And all by a single goal, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, exactly right. Uh, and um, out of those, Brentford can be nasty. I mean, Wolves have got something about them, but they're all games. Uh, a semi-competent United team should be winning, right? There's nothing... I'm not giving them a ton of credit for, for sneaking past these teams, I have to say. I mean, uh, it's it, yeah, it's it's another... Crisis averted for another week, I suppose. You you get to the next weekend without everything catching fire and exploding. But again, beating Luton at home shouldn't shouldn't be this hard. Alex says this week there's been pretty constant coverage of Newcastle and Spurs' injury problems. They both lost this week on various bits of coverage I saw this weekend. Their injury lists were literally listed on air. We have done with Newcastle. As a Man United fan, I'm obviously having a bit of a mixed season. I've been baffled by how few people have considered our injury problems this season. At several points, we've had our entire first choice back four out as well as the midfield that we'd like to have in front of them. I think at one point we had 12 out, okay, includes Sancho and Anthony, but that's still 10. This isn't a what about request, you know, I'd have if enough issues to go around, but I'm intrigued why the panel thinks United's injury problems have been so absent from coverage and analysis. Barry, why have, they, why have we not been discussing their injury issues? Um, I don't know. I, I suppose it's because their injury issues weren't as apparent to me. They're still putting out what should be a pretty strong team and those teams are struggling to get past opposition you would expect as as Lars described a competent Manchester United side to beat very comfortably I thought this was quite an emphatic 1-0 win Luton didn't create much they had this, employed the same tactics uh, as they did against Liverpool but didn't get away with it on this occasion they had one excellent opportunity where uh, Onana had to save superbly from a Carlton Morris header, which Morris really should have scored. I think it was a pretty comfortable United win. But uh, yeah, I'm veering away for the question. I, I wasn't, I personally wasn't aware that United had this crisis. I don't think they're anywhere near as, it's, theirs is anywhere near as bad as Newcastle's. Mm. Yeah, and it looks sure missing has been key for them, I guess. I mean, look, there is a cliche, Robin, that, you know, if you win when you're really bad, 
like it could click. Like they are still in touch, Manchester United, aren't they? And there is a you know, there's a long way of this season to go. We get the international break out of the way and then sort of see what happens. But given how bad they've been in this run, to be the form team is quite extraordinary. You know, I saw that. Uh, I thought that was a mistake. <laughs> um, I guess it's been peppered with in between the Champions League games where they've not been great as well and, and have lost some as well. Yeah, they're odd. I still, I'm not convinced, not convinced. Um, you know, as, you know, Lars has outlined the teams they've beaten and unconvincingly so. So, and yeah, just looking at, that's an interesting one that the tweet brought up there. It's still, I'm still looking at their starting eleven. Possibly you wouldn't, you know, Rashford's out of form, so you might want to rotate him and perhaps he can't. But otherwise, you know, you've got Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen, Garnacho, Hoyland, you know, the back four. You know, Harry Maguire's actually been quite good. Lindelof, Regulon. And then they brought on Varane, Mount, Anthony and Martial. So I think, you know, when Newcastle are lining up with a teenager and then having to bring him off for another teenager, I think it's, you know, maybe slightly different. Uh, we are convinced, I think, by Aston Villa, though. 13th successive home win, a 40-year record. Sixth successive home game, I think, where they've scored three or more. They're three points off top, fifth in the table, Baz. And and in a really good, you know, they're in a great place. They're squad a fit. They're firing. They are they are really exciting to watch. And um, we can lavish some more praise on Unai Emery. Yeah, uh, 13 Premier League wins at home in a row. And their two next Premier League Home games are against Manchester City and Arsenal, which is quite wow. interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they were massively impressive against a Fulham team. I think are incredibly meh uh, generally, but John McGinn was superb. Uh, Ollie Watkins is, is fit and firing, although he did miss have a miss a howler. Amazing, um, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the the transformation in. Is it just over a year that Unai Emery has made to that team is just remarkable. But they can still, you know, lose games you would expect them to win comfortably. But Aston Villa fans must be having an absolute ball watching them win, you know, relentlessly game after game at Villa Park. Yeah, and there just seems, Lars, like a total understanding between these players. Like that third, the Watkins goal... It was a counter-attack, but there was like three Villa players and about 10 Fulham players on this counter, as far as I can tell. And they just waited and played it perfectly. No, it just seems to be, it seems to be working really well. And, and Unai Emery have, have got them together and he's found... He, there seems to be like... I may have said this before, but there seems to be like a sweet spot for Unai Emery. Because when he, he's been at, some, at Arsenal and at PSG at the very biggest clubs, it doesn't quite seem to work for him. And I do... He is notorious for being very meticulous in training, very detailed focus, having these very long video analysis sessions. And I, I do wonder if we, when you get to the very top echelon of the game, you run into a few personalities and squads that are just not having that. But when he's been at Sevilla, when he's been at Villarreal, now when he's at Aston Villa, teams that have the resources and the muscle to give you some pretty good players to play with, but you also maybe stay clear of the the, the biggest dickheads, basically, and, and you you can put them together into very very capable sides. And I think they're very very well positioned to exploit any slip ups from the uh, from the quote unquote bigger teams. And and with a high likelihood that fifth will be enough for a Champions League spot, I think they have a real chance of that. Uh, interesting to see Yuri Tielemans start a game first start in the season in the Premier League for him I mean that could be an added thing if they can find a spot for him in this system they could add something more because I think he at his best is a very good player yeah you mentioned their next two home games are interesting their next what, game is away at Tottenham and given Villa's high line is this game is going to be played just, <laughs> <laughs> just on a tiny strip on the halfway line and that's it very very exciting to, to see how that plays out um, Anthony Robinson's second own goal of the season the record is four he's got to get to uh, Martin Skirtle and Lewis Dunk have both managed to get four own goals in the season Richard Dunn has a record of ten own goals in total in the Premier League just back to that Watkins missed header. It was it was like he jumped past the ball, Robin. Something totally... The first time I saw it, I said, well, that must have been more difficult than I thought. And then when you see it again, you're like, how has he done that? Well, I, I don't want to criticise people for missing headers. I'm not... Uh, that's not, not my uh, that's not my game, Max. Um, so, <laughs> <No fair. laughs> and, yeah, as being... I've discovered that I'm five foot and a half. 
I thought I was one, oh, so I don't oh, know where that half's gone. Oh, Devastated. It happens um, when you're ageing, isn't it? Exactly. Shrinking <laughs> exactly, already. Yeah. Uh, breaking news, everyone. Cole Palmer, Esri Concer, Rico Lewis have been called up to the England squad uh, in place of Lewis Dunk, James Madison and Callum Wilson. So there we are. Palmer, obviously listening to this pod before it's out, Gareth, to get Cole Palmer on that plane, presuming Raheem Sterling and uh, James Will Prowse will be on by the end of the pod. Uh, Brighton won, Sheffield United one, no win in six for Brighton. Third straight draw at home. Started so well, Baz. That Adingra goal was sensational. Oh, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful goal. And the alertness of uh, Buonanotte to to dink that little back heel into his pass, uh, re- return pass after he'd cut inside, sort of slalom pass three um, Sheffield United training cones and... Just to finish it, it it will be a contender for goal of the season, you'd imagine. Um, it's a bit worrying for Brighton. I think that the Thursday Sunday thing is taking its toll. They know Miller, Estebanan, Dunk, Ferguson. I think are all injured in midweek. Um, Karo Matoma was rested yesterday. I'm guessing he wasn't dropped because he when he came on, he he was very influential as well. But um, yeah, Brighton are struggling a bit. They've only won two in ten in all competitions, and and as you say, without a win in six in the league. Yeah, um, they they wanted a penalty for handball from Jaden Bogle. Match the day, righty and Shearer thought it was. I I was pleased it wasn't given in Europe. Definitely would have been given, but I I thought it was you know proximity and all those kind of things. I just don't want any handball to ever be given again. So <laughs> that's the yeah the Rushton promise. Yeah. Um, the best thing about this was um. Roberto De Zerbi apparently said after the game, I don't like 80% of English referees. And I like the thoughts of um, all of our referees going, oh, he can't be talking about me. <laughs> it can't be me. Yeah, well, presumably he, John Brooks, who refereed that game, is presumably in the 80%. Although he did say, you know, the red card decision was correct. It was definitely correct. Mahmoud uh, Dahoud sort of stamping on Ben Osborne. Um, yes, he says... I'm honest and clear. I don't like 80% of English referees. It's not a new thing. I don't like them. The behaviour, I don't like their behaviour on the pitch. I mean, I can't see what, maybe the penalty lasts, but apart from that today, you know, if we're going to go two-footed on Arteta, we can't just let De Zerbi have a pass because we like him better. No, it's true. I, I don't know why this didn't annoy me more uh, because I'm usually team ref and I think we should leave them alone and leave them to do their jobs and talk about them a lot less than we do. But there was something vaguely endearing about just how dismissive he was. He's just got yeah, just like 80% of them. They're all terrible. Uh, he does seem to be quite a fiery character. Um, not sure why I didn't find it quite as annoying, but I just kind of didn't. Mm. Um, and they had a chance to win it, Sheffield United, didn't they? Was it Jaden Bogle? Like, that's a massive chance late on, which would have been, imagine getting two wins in a row. Um, but as you said, unbeaten in two. There is some hope. Um, uh, Gareth says, can you discuss the Cambridgeshire Derby, please, Max? James, can we have five minutes on the Cambridgeshire Derby? Neil says, did you get to the posh match and did you wish you were still down under? Uh, Nick, Peterborough, good, aren't they, Barry? Um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I would have talked about it had we won. It was a midday kickoff. We lost 5-0. It was 0-0 after 32 minutes. It was 3-0 after, I think, about 38 minutes. It was a disappointing. Oh <laughs> it was disappointing. And I had that game and the Spurs game on. And, you oh, know, no. all those people that yell at me for liking two teams. Uh, both early kickoffs. Jet lagged. Just slightly emotional jet lag. A very sad morning. But well done to Peterborough. You were, I would say, on balance, the better side. Kim says Lars was on the pod during Wallandergate. Is it Wallander or yeah. Wallander? Uh, but did not react. Could he explain himself from a fellow Scandinavian? Probably wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, it is late. Fair enough. I mean, Jim that says- does seem to happen sometimes <laughs> when we get into the yeah. when we get into the Q and A section of the pod. I sometimes zone out. You know, I've moved on to other things in my head. You, you don't care about the listeners, is what I'm hearing. Uh, Jim says, mm. not a question, just some self-aggrandizing. Over the past week, I've been competing in the gay games, the long-running LGBTQ plus Olympics in Guadalajara, Mexico, on Friday. My team, London Titans. Clinched gold in the Division 2 competition. Many congratulations, Jim. Um, Spencer in Washington, D.C. says, Hi, Max and Barry. I didn't think of sharing this until last week's pod, but indeed we have two dogs named Max and Barry, two pandemic <laughs> pets, named in tribute to one of the bright spots, the Guardian Football Weekly pod of the, over the lockdown. Kept us sane when the world was upside down and football was played without fans. Fittingly, Barry, the black lab, doesn't get off the sofa unless there's a meal. Love you guys. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm glad I didn't say he's fittingly Barry smokes 20 a day. <laughs> oh, no. 
Anyway, that's very sweet, and I don't think I've ever felt more honoured, yeah. to be honest. I'm wondering, um, does Barry the Black Lab enjoy a trip to the pub? Yeah, probably. Just, you know, there's his local. There's there's Max, the dog, you know, all Pollyanna, banal and friendly, happy at everything. It does, yeah, does, does, does Max the dog just kind of have, like, one Peroni and sort of stay, keep it sensible, whereas <laughs> the black dog just kind of really goes for it? But then bursts into life and starts slapping a chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, Neil says, I bumped into Gary Burtles on Saturday night and asked him if he would mind having a photo for Max Rush, and he readily agreed, legend. There is a photo of Neil and a very smiley Gary Burtles. Um, I presume now we'll have to be discussed at the end of every podcast we do until the end of time. Um, but thank you, Gary. Appreciate it. And that'll do uh, for today. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens, And uh, Suella Braverman has been sacked. So there's no need for a voice note. The statement says uh, she's been great for the club. We wish her the best, you know, in her next move. And uh, she's always welcome back in the 1922 committee uh, or something along those lines. See you at the live shows or whenever the next part. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 